Now this ten dhammas to be reflected upon it, you notice how that this is a convention using the I I'm no longer living according to worldly aims and values in the sense of I and then the worldly aims and values, etc. That is a convention. And in a summoner life, it's, it's, uh, it's to bring into consciousness the, the sense of going forth, being uh, letting go of all the worldly conditions, habits, uh, values that we've acquired through the Sakaya Ditti Silabhata Bharamasa, the sense of uh, self or the ego, the uh, personality, the cultural conditioning. And so in terms of, of um, say, my own experience with this has uh, been brought up in, the, in America, which is its worldly aims and values is for independence, for self-expression, a kind of self-importance, uh, my rights. Nobody talks about my duties. Uh, in in the American context, you know, I didn't have any duties or sense of uh, responsibility towards things. I had to assert myself as a personality, demand my rights, uh, and be independent, free. And so these are the worldly values that my personality is. Conditioned by this sense of myself, my my opinions, my views. I want to be free and independent. Don't want to be dependent. Don't want to be a beggar. Someone dependent on things from others. And so there's a lot of pride in the sense of I had was able to live my life. Uh, I left my parents' home at 17 and supported myself. You know, I could assert myself, take care of myself. And there was a sense of pride in this. I'm, I don't need anybody. I can look after myself. Then in the going forth into monastic life, so this bapa char, going forth is, this very word itself, it's going out of that, going away from the world, worldly conditioning into the unknown. It doesn't tell you where you're going, does it? Going forth. Going forth to where? <clears throat> and that's not the point, is not to have a, have a destination, because that's a worldly value. I want to know where I'm going. Guarantee if I go forth, if I shave my head and put on the robe, will you guarantee that I'll realize Nibbana before I die? <laughs> that's the worldly, that's the Sakyaditi sense of self, wanting, to, I'm not going to do it till you, till you promise that I, you know, I'm going to get it. It's going into the unknown, isn't it? Going forth. Uh, the sum in our life, alms mendicancy is going, into the unknown, who you know, uh, the sense of four requisites of you know you can't even store food. Uh, the monastic discipline for yourself, even after your meal, you have to relinquish the extra food that you haven't eaten. So it's this this sense of. I depend on the goodness of others for my survival. Well, by reflecting on that, then I could see that the kind of the the conditioning of the cultural conditioning, what worldly aims and values really are, not just you know wanting money and be become a you know 
become a multi-billionaire and so forth and, and those kind of very materialistic values but even very good values like being independent and free and assert yourself and not be dependent on others these are all quite noble in themselves on the worldly as worldly values but it's not uh, the dasa dhammas are not uh, the ten dhammas to be reflected upon are not meant to be intimidation like I should be grateful for the requisites I shouldn't have any worldly aims and values I and the as of a, a kind of using it as a, a a way of intimidating and making one feel unworthy it's uh, these are this is a skillful means to remind ourselves what we're doing just on the conventional level because monasticism is conventional it's not ultimate reality it's not paramata satcha So it's an expedient, skillful means, merely, to, and if used properly, then it helps to reflect our, pers- you know, our egos, uh, our self-importance, and, and our, you know, cultural attitudes, <clears throat> habits, emotional habits. So in the First three fetters, you know, the ten fetters, sanyojanas, the sakyatiti, silabhattabharamasa, vichikicha, these are the three, these are the, these fetters are what we must understand in order to see the path or stream entry. Sotapanna is after we have seen through these, not, not a matter of suppressing them or denying them or getting rid of them, but but recognizing them. What is Sakayaditi? And that's translated in English as personality view. Or just in the modern parlance that we use is the ego sense of myself as a person, the thing that, that uh, my rights, and I want to this, and I don't like that, and and the the whole sense of oneself as a, as a separate person. So during this retreat, point I've been pointing out the you know you know if you've really tuned in to what I'm doing, you're endlessly pointing out this, uh, this uh, Sakya Ditti to be seen, to be recognized. It's through thinking, through, through the, the sense of I am this person, I am this body, I am a, a man, a woman, a Buddhist, I'm not a Buddhist. With Westerners, they come, they go on Buddhist retreats, but they say, I'm not a Buddhist. I don't like religion. But yet they, they come to religious centers. And so, you know, where does this come from? You know, it's opinion and view, isn't it? So I am a Buddhist, and you can only, you know, realize the truth through Buddhism. Is another, that's an opinion, a viewpoint. I create through attachment to words, to ideas, to personal preferences. Then they, <clears throat> using this sound of silence, this reference to this, because this, uh, once you recognize it, it, the thinking process stops. Like in 
chanting itself, like this morning, and chanting Namo Tassa, I can, you know, I train myself to listen to the sound of silence and chant Namo Tassa, because this, this sound of silence is like the space, or it uh, has no boundary, so one can actually be in this stillness, in this silence, and chant in Pali. And so the mind doesn't wander. Where before I did this, you know, I could be chanting in Pali, Namutas, and thinking about all kinds of other things. So once you train, you know, because the actual chanting process is a habit, uh, you get, you know, like a, you know, a perfunctory thing you do. You can, you can be thinking about, you know, your plan to, to kill somebody while you're chanting Namotasa. <clears throat> because uh, you, it, it just becomes a, a kind of verbal habit, you know. A lot of this poly chanting just becomes, you know, it's uh, just a habit of saying these, these uh, syllables, pronouncing these, wor- these uh, syllables, but not, you know, but not really understanding them, or the mind wanders away and thinking about other things. <clears throat> or bringing it together at one point. So in this sound of silence, it's a background. I put it as a, it's, it's a background that allows then this, when it's time to do the chanting, Namutasa Bhagavato comes from this. <clears throat> and it, it stops the mind from wandering. Because you're in a still point that sustains, and it's a samadhi, it's mindfulness, sama. Sati samavayamo samasati samasamadhi. Because it's self-sustaining, I don't create this. If I had to sustain this as a willful act, then I wouldn't, you know, I would have to, you know, not be aware of the chanting. But because this is a, this is not a, a self-created condition that I have to sustained by absorbing into it. It's merely recognizing, relaxing into it. Then the conditions can come from that. So the chanting. What's the good of poly chanting? You just, it's like nonsense syllables, isn't it? Nobody knows what they're saying. What's all that mean? Homage to the blessed, noble, and perfectly enlightened one. But one can really say these things even in English, and not not they don't really mean very much. They're just kind of blessed, noble, perfectly. What do you mean? What does blessed mean? And noble and perfectly enlightened. Even in, in using the English terms. So then reflecting on blessing, the, the English word blessed. That's a common enough word, so it's not like a kind of exotic word, but what do we really mean by that? What is, what is blessing? What is a blessing? And I'm not trying to define it or tell you, but uh, what I'm doing now is just pointing to this to this, the, the English word and the polyequivalent. What do you mean by that? You know, so this sense of, then the intuitive sense can operate because then you, you understand blessing on an intuitive level rather than on some kind of intellectual definition or some idealized version of, you know, blessings from out there and, and, and using it in, in just a habitual worldly way.
I am no longer living to according to worldly aims and values. I can interpret that from the ego. You know, I, uh, Ajahn Sumedho, I've given up all worldly aims and values and uh, I no longer live by those kind of vulgar things that the rest of the world is living by. <laughs> I can make myself into a real conceited ass. <clears throat> thing. I'm, I don't live by worldly aims and values like the, the vulgar herd. And so it could feed my sense of superiority if I wanted to build up you know, myself as a superior person. Or I can just say this, you know, dust the dhammas again. I'm no longer living, blah, blah, blah. When is it going to get on my, my legs ache? I want to sit in samadhi. I don't want to bother with this stuff. <clears throat> or, you know, how to reflect. What does this really mean? And we're conventionally using the pronoun I, so it can be taken from the sense of me as a personality, or it is a, uh, a one of the ten dhammas to be reflected on. So this is a reflective practice. What does this really mean? Worldly aims and values, and 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 we're not trying to, and in, in intuitive awareness, we're not trying to answer the questions and come up with, you know, inspired answers and, and all that, but just to leave this as an open, a sense of openness. A, ref, a reminder of what the samana is. What the point of it, on a conventional level, what its purpose is. Not to... <clears throat> feed the ego or just some kind of thing you have to put up with on a conventional level because it's tradition or whatever but in because we can react to it you know culturally or uh, just you know when when you're when you're in a tradition oftentimes in the beginning you just put up with things that you don't particularly like or agree with, but because it's part of the, what everyone does, you just put up with it, go along with it. But in terms of intuitive awareness, then it isn't. It's not, you know, we're not, we can begin to see this, or the way we react to convention. <laughs> so then this, like this, uh, sound of silence, if I think, if I start claiming it as some kind of, you know, some kind of attainment, then, I, and then I'm taking the, the, the concept of it in, as some kind of ego, you know, some kind of sense of self-importance or achievement or attainment. But that's not what I'm interested in. I'm not, I don't, you know, I see the suffering of being a special person, an attainment, attained person, or trying to build myself up on that level to attaching to conventional forms or ideals or anything like that. Just seeing that the, there's something repulsive to me in that. The kind of arrogance and and that that comes in in religious groups where people do feel that you know, they're somehow special <clears throat> because they're so holy or moral or whatever. There's something quite repulsive in that kind of conceit. Taking uh, Buddhism as a as, and making it in some kind of conceited position. So that's where this 
reference uh, to dukkha, what is suffering, or the cause, the, the, the end of suffering. Well, if I stop thinking, when, I, when, I'm, when the thinking process ceases, there's still this resonating, vibrating stillness. And then there's, but there's no sense of a self in it. Just because there's just a tension. There's a tension. It's like a stream, so it has a continuity. You know, so it's, it, it, it is like the sound of running water or the, the, uh, Retreat I gave up in Chiang Mai with the, with the waterfall and the stream. It's like that, Con- continuous continuity, a flow. Where the, the thinking process kind of comes and goes in that flow. So being the stream rather than the, than this person that, that Likes, dislikes, wants, doesn't want, gets confused, thinks, you know, uh, doubts and has views, strong views and opinions about everything. But the stream itself, it is what it is. It's not like, you know, if I start thinking, I'm, I'm specially attained because I, I, I know this, then I'm, I'm not in the stream anymore. I've kind of taken myself and claimed the perception of it as some kind of personal quality or achievement. And that's suffering. When I start creating myself on that level of conceit, personality, I'm thrown back into the realm of suffering every time. Because that self-view, sakiditi, is, uh, you know, it's, when you really see it, attachment to that, that whole sense of separateness, of I am this body, I am this person. And then the, 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 uh, all the qualities I associate with, good and bad, I am uh, good meditator, I am not a good meditator, whatever, you know, whether it goes up to the superlative level of I'm the best or down to the nadir of misery, I'm the absolute worst. It's still the same problem because it's, that's the conditioned realm. The sakyaditi is, you know, whether you think you're the, the best or the worst, it's still thinking, attachment out of ignorance to separateness, to a view. So reflecting in the present, you know, now I'm far away from the waterfall in Chiang Mai and the stream that flows by the meditation hall there, but there's still this continuity of flow, this what I call sound of silence. Then in the the life of the samana here, like a chitras and morning puja, part of the lifestyle is chanting, you know, it's part of a tradition. And then people, you don't have to chant to become enlightened. You get all, get rid of all that kind of. That's just sila patabaramasa, isn't it? Clinging to rites and rituals, and, and the critics of tradition. You know, uh, they think it's all just clinging to rites and rituals. We don't need chanting or Buddha rupas or any of this. It's just, it just, uh, you know perpetuates superstition, clinging to rites and rituals. 
And then the arrogant Westerner thinks, I don't need rites and rituals. I don't cling. I just have contempt for them. <laughs> I've heard many Westerners say this. Only you idiots, you kind of faith types. You know, I'm not a faith type. I'm a wisdom type. People that believe in all that. What is that? That's very conceited, isn't it? When you listen to yourself saying, "I, you know, I'm above all that. I'm not like you. Uh, I don't cling to rites and rituals." But as Sila Bhattabharama, that's how it's oftentimes translated uh, into English. Sila Bhattabharamatha. But what it really means is it's like cultural conditioning. So, you know, it's a, it's a, you know, Sila Bhattabharamasa is clinging to your own views, really. The conceits of, you know, I'm, you know, the, the way that one, the, the attitude, cultural attitudes, which thinks of like maybe polychanting as, as uh, superstition. Or bowing to Buddha rupas and and um, symbols and so forth. It's all just a bunch of you know rubbish from Asia. <clears throat> but the real Buddha, you know, I've heard is a, you know the West, the way Westerners oftentimes grasp Buddhism is Buddha taught awareness, not attachment, non attachment to anything at all. So you cling to this view that you shouldn't be attached to anything whatsoever. And so that can be another Sakyaditi problem, isn't it? Because that's, you know, that's not a reflective statement when I say it like that. You shouldn't be attached to anything. A Buddhist is not attached to anything. Can you take your robe off and put jeans on, Ajahn Sumato? And to prove it, I want you to do that. Here's a pair of jeans. See if you, or are you attached to your robe? And so that's a, and so I think I'm getting intimidated. So to prove to that person I'm not attached, I take off my robe, put on a pair of jeans. What's all that about anyway? You know, I want to prove to you that I'm not attached. That's still sakyaditi, isn't it? I've got to, you know, you're, you're challenging me and I've got to prove to you that I'm not attached to the robe. That's still sakyaditi, personality view, getting intimidated by others, what others think, and being I have to prove that, you know, if I'm a real Buddhist, I've been a Buddhist monk 40 years, you know, I shouldn't be attached to the robe. You know, I kind of... <laughs> attached to Vinaya? Attachment to... So, you know, the people can intimidate us on, that, on this, uh, you know, sense of... Because we... We can be attached to all these things too, admittedly. But the point is, is, is not to, you know, going forth doesn't mean just, uh, you know, becoming attached to Buddhist conventions. Then it would be more or less just, uh, you know, you're, you're getting rid of a set of other conventions and just attaching to uh, a new, another, you know, another convention? Or is it, are we learning how to use convention for awareness? How to use going forth, monastic life, the tradition, Pali tradition, Theravada tradition, how to use it, not as some kind of personal t- positioning on 
religious spirituality or whatever, but it's the vehicle that we've chosen. It's an expedient means. So how to use it for awareness, for awakenness, for liberation. So that's the conundrum, isn't it? How to use convention and not be attached to it. That you can't, you, can, you know, how can, I, how can I tell you? That's something you, you, you know through awakening, not through somebody telling you anything or how to do that. This is where you have to trust in the awareness, that, why this emphasis on awareness, recognizing it, realizing it, is like this. Now when you, when the concept of sound, sound of silence, I know that that particular combination of words gets in the way. Because <clears throat> it's not really sound. And, and then one monk challenged me and says, uh, silence has no sound. You know who that is. <laughs> and that's logical, isn't it? That's, that's the logic. You know, that's true but not right, right but not true kind of thing. You know, on the logical level, the ideal level, silence is the absence of sound. And, and uh, you know, that's, that's the logical mind. But I'm not using it as, as a kind of, for logic or reason. It's a pointing, it's a kind of, it, it's the way I, I kind of experience it. It seems to me like a sound, and it, but it's still. It's a kind of stillness or silence. So it's 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 you know how can I go any further with definitions or words or concepts? But merely, but what I'm trying to do is point or encourage you to awaken, to listen, to pay attention, to relax, open. Not to get the sound of silence. Now for me, in in my own experience of meditation, and this, recognizing this, realizing this, gave me, you know, I realized it's it's a kind of, it's a samadhi. But it's not, it's not a samadhi focused on a thing, because it's not a thing. It's like, it has, it has no, it, can't, it doesn't exist in a form. It's recognition, like of space or emptiness. It has, because it, it's, you know, when you, you, you conceive it, that limits it. That limits it because of the nature of conceptualization. But the reality of it's like this. It's like background, or the unlimited, or unconditioned. So then the the sense of myself rises and ceases in this. When I'm just in the state of a bare attention and awareness, like this. There's no, there's no self in it. And up I start thinking, I am, am I really aware now, or am I not, or am I, you know, start thinking about it, then the, then the sense of myself arises. But if I stop thinking, I can be fully present. There's this presence, and it's certainly conscious, I'm, there's consciousness, Awareness, certainly discerning, certainly aware of what, you know, that of time and place. and It's not a trance. I don't go into a trance. 
So reflecting on the on the reality of this, you know, this this is the way it is. I'm not making any of this up. It's not imagined, it's, but this is the way it is. So then it can become very clear that the non-self, anatta, is this. And then self is, I mean, I start thinking about myself, either on a conventional level or just forget about, you know, lose my sati and get caught up in in my own uh, self-habits, me and mine and what I think and what I like and don't like. But the more you 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 cultivate this, to me this this is what real pavana or meditation is all about. You see, you don't really start practicing, you don't really do pavana until you're sotapana. I've heard teachers say this. So then, the, then, the, then the way the, the Western mind interprets sotapanna is a kind of, some kind of personal attainment. Have you attained sotapanna yet? And are you a stream enterer or not? And then, for monks, we're not supposed to say anything. You know, it's a, it's brachika if I go around saying I'm a sotapanna and I'm not. I could have to be kicked out of the robe. Never ordain in this lifetime. It's a serious offense. Go around claiming superior states. And then it's a minor offense if you just think you're sort of pun and you're not, but you're not kind of, you're not trying to delude anybody. So you, you've got these, you know, in the Vinaya, you've got these kind of suggestions too. So in terms of what is, you know, the, these four stages, Sotapanna, Sakata, Kamyana, Kamyarahan, they're aligned with the, the ten fetters, the ten sanyojanas. And the first three fetters, Sakyaditi, Thila, Bhattabharamasa, Vichikeja, are the, the fetters uh, that uh, prevent stream entry or prevent sotapanna. Now, sotapanna then is sakyaditi. If I if I claim to be a sotapanna on a personal level, that's sakyaditi, isn't it? So that doesn't work. You know, how can one claim? You know, I but. I'm, I am a sotapanna, and and this is a, it's kind of going against the whole thing. And the, the point of the, you know, you're misusing the convention because it's not meant to be. You know, it's not a personal attainment. It's when the personality is no longer, uh, you know, one is no longer deluded by the personality. And the personality depends on thinking. I am, or even I'm not a sotapanna, still sakyaditi. So that whole thing of thinking, I am, I'm not, and, and you know, sometimes modest monks, we don't want to claim anything, you know. So I've heard monks say, you know, give really good desanas, and then, you know, with a lot of having, obviously having a lot of insight, and then at the end saying, "Of course, you know, I'm I haven't gotten anywhere yet." And they don't want a, anybody to think that they're claiming that they've actually understood what they're talking about. <laughs> <laughs> and that is uh, that that modesty carried to into stupidity, isn't it? So th- this is why this, this word reflection, you know, from this point of awareness, now I'm talking about sound of silence, 
reflecting on the self. Where, where, where's Ajahn Sumedho? It's like asking questions or deliberately thinking, you know. Be, uh, you know, sometimes you have to really be conceited and arrogant and, and foolish deliberately just to listen to it, to get to know this, you know. So you, you're developing a sense of listening to Sakyaditi. So, and I found this very helpful, rather than just trying to wipe out Sakyaditi by trying to suppress it or, or just stay with the sound of silence in order to get rid of it. I'm not going to think anymore. And then, you know, that, that's another grasping of the idea again. So, you know, I found it quite, you know, like these soap operas on the, on the television. Sometimes, you know, you can, you can create soap operas with yourself, with your life listening to the, the lives and loves of Arjan Sameto. <laughs> Sameto faces life. The tragic, the tragic, the heartbreak of Arjan Sameto and the, all they kind of, <laughs> I mean, you can, you can put it in kind of melodramas, but whatever way you want to do it, if you, if you have a sense of humor or whatever, it's worth Listening to it, you know, taking, putting yourself and your self-importance and your conceit into very conscious forms, but you're listening to them. You say, I am the best human being in the whole world. And that, be really, take conceit to the ultimate, but you're listening to it. Or I'm the, I'm just hopeless, absolutely hopeless, despicable, worthless failure. But the, you know, the, the, that whole range, that dualistic range, you're listening with this, and on this sense of Sakya Ditti, get to know it, is like this. That which is aware, that which is listening, is not nothing best or worst about it, it is what it is. It's not an attainment. It's not the highest or the best or the deepest or anything like that. It is like this. And then the, the best and the worst can arise and cease. Now the perspective of saying that all conditions are impermanent. Not self. Proving this. Sila Bhattabharamasa. You know, the conceit of, of Westerners is that we're not attached to rites and rituals like the Thais and the Sri Lankans and the Burmese and that. You know, so we kind of patronize, isn't that sweet? You know, the way they the light incense sticks and bow down in front of statues. and But we, are, we don't need to do that. So there's a kind of arrogance that Sila Bhattabharamasa and Sakyaditi that, you know, we, because it's not cultural with us. So we were brought up in Thailand in, with, in a Buddhist family and where you, your parents take you to the monastery and you do this part of a cultural conditioning. But most of us are not culturally conditioned in that way. So we have a different kind of cultural conditioning, which is that maybe Protestant or atheist or something, just assuming that it's all rubbish. And I was brought up in the Anglican church, so you kind of high church where you light incense and you do all this. And so I kind of like it. I'm culturally conditioned for it. But I know others, you know, like Protestants uh, tend to, you know, the, in the in the Episcopal Church in the state, it used to be, you know, the, there were the highs the and the lows. And the highs the, were 
were these crazy kind of Anglo-Catholics that loved incense, bells and smells, they called it. And, <laughs> and the low church Episcopalians, the, you know, the, they're just those crazy bells and smells type. We don't do that. No incense in our church. So there's, and this is cultural conditioning, isn't it? Whether you, you, you like it or don't like it or think it's necessary or unnecessary. Rites and rituals. You have to have pujas or you have to have everything like this in order to feel all right. You know, we can develop traditions, forms a kind of compulsive, use it as compulsiveness. You know, we feel slightly ill at ease or very upset if things don't go properly, if we do something wrong, if we make a mistake in the chanting or we don't, you know, bow at the right time. And and then this is like Sila Patabharamasa also, clinging to the forms. Or clinging to attitudes. You know, I don't need any of that. We're beyond that, that silly superstition. Can be a very conceited opinion. So in this stillness, you can begin to notice that one's opinions. And see, you know, opinion is an opinion might be a good opinion, an intelligent one, or a silly one, or whatever, but it, we're not interested in the quality, but just to see what an opinion is. It arises and ceases in this stillness. So then this is where you develop, you know, the pavana comes from breaking through these these three fetters, which Ikicha, the third one, is doubt, which is always from thinking. In the, the, to, when you doubt, you're thinking about something. You're trying to figure out something. What should I do next? And then, then you, uh, should I stay or go? Should I, <laughs> uh, should I go to India or stay here in England? Should I? You know, then they start thinking, and then you get caught in doubt. Am I really a sotapanna or not? Or do I dare assume that I am? But I better not tell anybody. Or it's wrong to even think about it. I might, you know, be Barachika. Some some people, some monks get so, they, they, the Vinaya makes them so anxious. They're afraid, it just creates, you know, they're using Vinaya to make them, to increase all their guilt and their sense of, of uh, fear around breaking a rule, doing something wrong, being punished for, you know, being Barachika or Sangadi Sesa or something. So they're using the forms in order to, you know, to make themselves less mindful more compulsive, more conceited, more frightened. So in the in the stillness then you, you get perspective on you know how you know on form the relationship of convention of uh, the self-view, the thinking process. So people ask me about what other, about other teachers like Krishnamurti and that. And so then, then they want to, you know, this gets into thinking again, having to to have form opinions about Krishnamurti and and Buddhism and what Krishnamurti said about religion and and uh, what Ajahn Chah said and what the Dalai Lama says and on it goes on. You get you get tangled up in 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 trying to figure it all out. How does 
Krishnamurti and Buddhism, where did they come together or not, or they opposed, or and then then the various other teachers, uh, you know, the Advaita Vedanta style, or the uh, Ramana Maharishi, or or then the Mahayana, Eckhart Tolle, and modern mystics and and Meister Eckhart. <laughs> And you've got to think about it endlessly, and and that's kind of fun in a way, and it's interesting intellectually. But that's not the path, is it? It's playing with the words and the ideas. So in in this this very direct way of thinking itself, putting thought in as an object, not not trying to think about, you know, not develop thinking anymore, but to be able to see thought, whatever thought, whether it's a, a, you know, a very good thought or stupid thought or whatever, that's not the point. It's seeing it in terms of an aramana as an object. How can you see thought as an object? And in this stillness, then the thinking process becomes objective. Stillness is not and not a thought. So it's not really sound or silence or anything. Those are thoughts. It's this way. Say it's silence. That's another thought. The word silence is a thought. Isn't it? So, so it's not to to suppress thinking, but to let thinking cease where thinking ceases, and to notice it. If there's no thought, when thinking ceases, there's no self, no person, no sakyaditi or sila bhattabharamasa or vichikicca. So then, this must be the path, isn't it? This must be the way. This awareness. And this is an intuitive insight. This is, you know, it's it's, a, it's intuition. And because that's budgetang we have to know this yourself. Realize this is not something I can. Somebody else can, can uh, you know, we can point to it and encourage, but can't make you. Recognize it. <laughs> so then, this insight into the path, then the pavana is developing, cultivating. So the fourth noble truth. <clears throat> The Eightfold Path, isn't it? Samaditi, Samasangapo, it starts with that. Right understanding. So right understanding is not a word or, or defined in any way. You know, don't say what right understanding is and tell you. Because this is an insight. It's not, not a convention. And this right understanding is is gut level knowing. It's not intellectual knowing all about what what the path is and the right view of Buddhism and all the rest uh, on the on the conceptual level. It's intuitive or gut level knowing. It's jnana dasana. It's insight, seeing, knowing the reality. This is the path. But it's nothing, too. It's not like I can hold it up and say, this is the path. 
So then the, the opportunity to cultivate this, say in monastic form, because, uh, you know, in this tradition, is, you know, more and more this, the life the, we, the life we live is based on, you know, uh, the samana sanya, you know, alms mendicancy, and and the uh, the tradition that that we have here. Then it is a it's a vehicle, a helpful. You know, for living in the world, for having a body and, and living in society. I can't think of any better way to do it. You know, so it's, you know, I can't think of, you know, any other lifestyle or convention that particularly, you know, attracts me to where I'd rather do that than this. And so, you know, one, uh, one has a sense of gratitude like at this stage of my life, a tremendous gratitude and contentment because, uh, the, you know, this, the, the, uh, this particular tradition and, and my experience with it has has given me so much support, encouragement for insight and breaking out of the delusions, cultural delusions of Sakyatiti, Sila Bhattabharama, Savichikicha. So then the, then the conventional form is, uh, is no longer me trying to work out my karma trying to make merit by keeping good sila and keeping strict vinaya and me practicing hard in order to attain, uh, uh, you know, enlightenment and, and me as a protector of the tradition, disciple of Ajahn Chah, uh, you know, dedicated and loyal uh, on a self level. You know, all this, uh, sometimes this is what, what motivated me in the beginning, you know, the the way I personally held the the convention and and interpreted it. You know, one could at first all I knew was that when I first started, all I knew how to do was cling to it and identify with it and and you know, hang on to the Vinaya and hang on to and and the ideals of of uh Buddhism and Theravada and and my love and respect for Ajahn Shah and all this. These were all kind of, you know, in the beginning, the way that I tended to react and use the convention itself. But as the mindfulness, as that developed, as the pavana increased, then you could see the suffering of identity, of clinging, and and attachment to the form. But then, you know, so then it's not a matter of of throwing it out, disrobing, and and getting rid of the form. But the form's all right, just non attachment to it. That's the that's the challenge. How this is a a, a world of forms we're living in. The body is a form, the sensory world, the society. You know, this is the way it is. All conditions are impermanent. All Dhamma is not self. So conventions are not, you know, or forms or sankharas are not something to despise or reject or deny. But to understand and to to let and and through understanding we let go, we no longer cling and grasp and identify with the sankharas. They still operate; you know, they are what they are. You know, so aging process still goes on. I haven't gotten younger in forty years. 
So then the, the then the conventional form is is just a, you know to me it's a, like a beautiful convention and that that uh, has has benefits you know for living in the world. And you can see here in England you know just living here as a Buddhist monk. The result of that is is you know it's quite good it gives opportunity and occasion for people establishing monasteries like this amaravati and that is these are these are what monks can do what nuns can do they can establish things that lay people can't do and, and traditions and you're 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 a part of a tradition so you when you go forth, then you're given that you're given that right to use the tradition. By the tradition, you're not just you know I'm going to do it my way kind of thing. It's it's like your your the tradition the actually is uh, empowering you, giving you that encouragement to be able to use Dhamma-vinaya in its traditional way, but not for attachment or as some kind of conceited, cultish uh, attitude that can easily happen when we, you know, when we cling to traditions. So ultimately it's liberating, you know, it's, it's liberation. And yet, the liberation is from knowing this reality rather than through um, throwing away all the conventions. That's a uh, agupa jedo vimuti. Agupa is like unshakable deliverance of the heart. So then the heart doesn't mean the physical organ. <laughs> it's the recognition like vinyana, the jitta. When we when we recognize this stillness, it's unshakable. The sankharas shake all over the place and tremble. But this doesn't. This is this is constancy still continuity embracing it's not annihilating anything non-judgmental it receives good, bad, right, wrong, everything clean, dirty everything So really contemplate this, you know, the, these three fetters, not in terms of how many of self, you know. Oh, I've got all these fetters. <laughs> That's not the point. <laughs> Sometimes I feel despair. <laughs> I give talks like this, and then, oh, I'm still, you know, I've got so much ego and self-view. And that, and is that what you got from this reflection? <laughs> uh, it'd be, you know, be conceited and selfish and all the rest, you know, but listen to it, learn from it. You know, not, not, you know, think that the, you know, you. I'm not trying to intimidate you and say you shouldn't be selfish and conceited, but, or you know have views, strong views and opinions and be against uh, and have strong views against religion you should you should respect Buddhism you shouldn't have, you know you shouldn't despise it's bad karma if you if you if you uh, say bad things about the Buddha like threatening you aren't I 
But it's, uh, you know, this is an invitation, encouragement to awaken and observe. So this is, this is how to use the, the conventions, the Four Noble Truths, eight, developing the Eightfold Path, in very practical ways, how to develop an awareness around Dhamma Vinaya rather than be bound into it and, and just and identified and then then uh, constricted by by rules and and traditions rather than being able to use rules and traditions for awareness. And then to you know to to use these four stages like the Sakadakami, once the, the first three fetters are kind of understood, there's still the existing conditions of humanity and of having a human body and living in the in the world. So you've got the sexual energies of a of a of a body. You know, it's still that's that's the nature that's the natural part, that's not self. It's not Sakyaditi, Silabhata Bharamasa, Vichikicha. It's the way it is. The human body's like this. This is sexual, sexual body. And, 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 uh, anger, resentment. So, Raka and, and, um, Dosa, you know, still can be very strong, but, but, then, uh, from the Sakatakami view, there's, you're seeing it in terms of the reality of it rather than identity through Sakyaditi, Silabhatamaramasa, Vichikicha. Which we do, don't we? We, we, our, our, our anger, our resentments, dosa, our greed, lust. From the self view, it's always interpreted my, my sexuality, my desires, my anger, uh, my fears. And so this is, this all comes from Sakyaditi Siddhabhata Bharamasa. When this illusion falls away, there's still raga or lust, sexual desire and, and, um, dosa, patika, aversion. And these are kind of primal and fear, the primal uh, energies that are non-personal. But, and so, from this point, then one can observe these energies. The relationship to, to lust and to aversion is one of knowing it, rather than attaching to it or suppressing it. So then, the, the cultivating, the, you know, these these uh, ten fetters are very helpful ways of investigating experience. They're to help you to, you know, looking at 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 the, this human state in in ways that we probably wouldn't be able to, you know, see for so clearly if we if we didn't have such skillful means. 